Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 104. Today I'll be talking about the murder of July Johnson, a 34-year-old single mother. My sources for today's episode are Calls from the Inside, Season 1, Episode 5, titled Jealousy's Killer Web, ClickOnDetroit.com, MacombDaily.com, and DailyTribune.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. Support for the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off plus free worldwide shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 14 million balls. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived in Oman. It is a game changer. Inside this package, you'll find their Lawn Mower 4.0 Trimmer, Weed Whacker Ear and Nose Hair Trimmer, Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, Crop Reviver Toner, Performance Boxer Briefs, and a Travel Bag to hold your goodies. First off, the Lawn Mower 4.0. This trimmer is the future of grooming and dare I say the greatest ball trimmer ever. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents stink thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. The Lawn Mower 4.0 is waterproof and also has a 4000K LED spotlight you need a more precise shave. Because this trimmer is waterproof, you can say goodbye to the mess on the bathroom floor. You thought that was good, but want to take your grooming game even further to the next level? The Performance Package 4.0 also includes this Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps reduce nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate nose holes. Their Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner will change the way you approach your hygiene routine. Trust me when I say this, fellas, your balls will thank you. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. Bring your comfort and boxers to another level. My husband loves the boxers, and I have ended up stealing the travel bag to use for extra storage. It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code CRIMEOCLOCK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code CRIMEOCLOCK. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Subject to recording and monitoring. You may start the conversation now. I've spent 28 and a half years working as a Macomb County prosecutor. It was an extremely complex case. The detectives were responsible for reviewing all the jail calls, and there were thousands. How did it go? It went good. I hit him with a new poem when I had wrote to you, so. You never know what's going to be of evidentiary value, what could possibly be a clue. How they like you? He never professed his innocence to any of these people. He's actually a psychopath. They was like, everybody was crying. I love you, and I'm going to talk to you tomorrow, okay? Okay, baby. All right, uh, good night. Ten seconds later, he's trying to strangle some guy. It's rather chilling. Call ended. Thank you. On January 13, 2017, 
It was a Friday. A 911 call came in at 7.27 a.m. And this day just so happened to be Friday the 13th. Okay, 911. Hey, my girlfriend just got stopped. She got stopped? Where are you at? Bird Way Trail. Bird Way Trail? Yes. Yeah. Hurry up, please. Okay, who, who shot her, sir? I don't know. I just 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 don't most of the de detectives hadn't responded to a crime on that street or area before because the subdivision was brand new. The police were told by the operator that the male in the house, Terrell, had heard the gunshots but didn't know if the victim was shot or had shot herself. The victim was identified as July Johnson, who was Terrell's girlfriend. She had been uh, shot outside near her car. The house on Bergway Trail was Terrell's, and July was rushed to the hospital. The police found several shell casings on the ground, and there was also a large amount of blood on the ground as well. Terrell was found to have a criminal history and had been in prison before for narcotics. He appeared to be in shock when the police spoke to him. Terrell said July was outside getting ready to go to work, and he said he heard bop bop bop. He also said he heard July say, oh god. Terrell and July had woken up early, July did her usual morning routine and left at the same time as she always did. Terrell said he looked out the window and saw who he believed was the shooter. He said the shooter was wearing a hoodie and ran east. Terrell said he didn't try to run after the shooter or get a car description because he stayed by July's side. Terrell also revealed to the police that July was a single mother. The police asked Terrell if he knew anybody from the drug trade that was upset with him and he said no. On the body cam footage, Terrell could be heard asking if July was alive. The police received a text message that July had passed away at the hospital. She had been shot a total of seven times. Terrell thought it was a joke because she had been breathing when the police arrived. To July and Terrell's friends and family, they had a good relationship. July was only 34 at the time of her death. She had a daughter, was hardworking, and was sweet and willing to help people. Terrell's house was searched because it was considered to be a crime scene. A pickup truck was taken to the station for evidence. Inside the house, the police recovered seven cell phones. There was a large amount of cash inside drawers, taped up boxes and envelopes. There was also a large hockey bag in the garage found with money inside. Due to the large sum of money, two different sergeants transported the money to the station. It took eight hours to confirm how much money was inside the house, and it was about $522,000. Terrell owned a car washing and several other businesses, but since there was a large amount of cash and cell phones, the police needed to further investigate. The police brought search dogs out, and based on the direction that Terrell saw the suspect run to, the police were able to find a pair of work gloves. A $20 bill was also found. The search dogs also indicated that the suspect had circled back near the house, and the police wondered if Terrell had been the shooter. Another witness that lived nearby had also seen the suspect wearing a hooded sweatshirt. Terrell had been wearing a gray hooded sweatshirt when he spoke to the police, but he was cooperative at the time and agreed to be interviewed at the next day at the station. The police believed it was a targeted attack and that someone had known July would be at Terrell's house. The police also spoke to several other people who were close to July. No one had a bad thing to say about her. A relative of July's had suspicions of Terrell's drugged connections. 
They also questioned why Terrell wouldn't have chased after the suspect. Terrell was interviewed and his truck was being searched. Terrell's story matched the one he had told them the previous day and was believable. He also now said that the pants and sweatshirt were either dark blue or black that the suspect was wearing. He also said that the suspect was about 5'7 and had a small frame. While the police were interviewing Terrell, they found something in his car. An officer known for finding hidden compartments had found one in the car. A plywood box where an airbag should have been was found. Terrell's sister had come into the room with him. They were whispering and hadn't known that the microphones would pick up their sound. Terrell said, quote, I think they found the gun in my car, end quote. There was also $6,000 in cash found and a 9mm pistol with the serial number scratched off. Terrell was a convicted felon and was arrested and charged with felony possession of a firearm. The gun was also the same caliber as the gun that had killed July. Terrell had a lawyer on retainer and was released. Detective Brandon Roy of the Warren Police Department analyzed the seven cell phones found in Terrell's house, and the name Marcy Griffin came up over and over. Terrell's, Terrell and Marcy had dated and had two children together. In text messages, Marcy said, quote, I hope you and your slut have a nice life, end quote. Marcy continuously called July to derogatory names. Someone close to July said that Marcy had been stalking her for two years and had developed a hatred for her. Marcy had began to harass July on the day July and Terrell got together. Around New Year's, July and Terrell had taken a trip to Las Vegas. Marcy had thought they had gotten married while they were there, and she had gone to Terrell's car wash and started asking why he was married to July. Marcy had apparently told Terrell that he would feel this. It was hearsay at the time, so July's friends didn't know for sure if that was true. On January 14, 2017, the police canvassed the area for any surveillance footage. A commercial gym had been the closest business where the suspect may have walked near. A dark SUV was seen arriving from the area of the shooting. A subject was seen walking, leaving, and walking back to the car after the shooting. The suspect walked with a slight limp. The shooter didn't resemble Terrell or Marcy. The suspect got into the passenger side of the car. So the police were able to determine the path that the suspect had most likely taken to and from the SUV, so they walked the route. A firearm was located, and it was a 9mm handgun. The Michigan State Police Crime Lab was able to determine that it was the murder weapon. Terrell's gun hadn't been the murder weapon, and he was officially cleared as a suspect. The police contacted people close to July to try to identify the shooter from the surveillance video. A few of them said they believed they knew who it was. The name given was Dominique Edgerson, who was a known associate of Marcy Griffin's. He was known to have a limp similar to the one in the video, and he was interviewed on January 20th, 2017. Dominique Dominique admitted to knowing Marcy. Yes. What's the last time you had any contact with Marcy Griffin? I can't recall. Actually, I can't recall. Give me a ballpark. Is it one day ago? No, I haven't seen her in years. Dominique's girlfriend was also interviewed. They claimed to have been together at her mom's house. But Dominique was confronted and told that they were looking at him as a, for him as a suspect to a homicide. He was told that several people were pointing to him as the suspect. After Dominique's girlfriend was told about the homicide investigation, she recanted her story. She said she lied because Dominique was on probation. She said she was, at her, they were at her, her mom's house.
She said she lied because... Fuck. This call is subject to recording and monitoring. Start the conversation now. Dominique seemed to be shaken up, so the police started to think he wasn't involved. Dominique and his girlfriend could be heard asking who would have told them that it was Dominique. And Dominique's DNA wasn't a match and he was ruled out. On one of the phones that belonged to Terrell, Detective Roy found a video. The video was of Marcy having an argument at Terrell's car wash on January 4th, nine days before July was killed. Terrell was heard saying that if he got married, she would have known. Marcy threatened Terrell that she would get him. On January 19th, 2017, Marcy was interviewed. Marcy had an attorney. She said every time something happened to Darrell, it came to her. The police knew she was connected but didn't have any proof. The police did analyze Marcy's phone, but it had been erased on January 13th, the day of the shooting. The police were still able to get her records from her cell phone provider. There was one number that kept coming up. The last message on January 12th and the first message from January 13th were from the same number. That cell phone data was analyzed. The phone was about a quarter mile from Terrell's house. The phone had turned on and back on, turned off and back on after the murder. That phone had gone dark for two weeks and couldn't be tracked until February 4th, 2017, when the phone turned back on. The police did surveillance on the house where the phone was pinging from. They observed someone leaving the house in a white SUV. The police followed the car and performed a traffic stop. The man was identified as George Ryder. George was in possession of a second cell phone at the time, and a third found phone was found in his car. George admitted that he had been arrested before for drugs and armed robbery when he was younger. George denied knowing a woman named Marcy. Even when he was shown a picture of her, he denied it. The police confronted George about his phone being in communication with Marcy, and in his phone, Marcy was known as Pretty Woman. The text messages between them proved that they had just started a romantic relationship. George and Marcy were taken into custody. On March 24, 2017, George admitted to someone through a prison call that Marcy was his girlfriend, even though he had denied knowing her at first. The police knew that there was a third person involved because Marcy and George didn't fit the description of the shooter. Marcy had also been in contact with Eric Gibson, who lived in a house owned by George Ryder. Eric had been arrested on January 12th. At the time of the arrest, he was driving a vehicle that matched the dark SUV in the surveillance footage. Eric's DNA was also found on the gun and work gloves that were found. After Mark, Marcy, Eric, and George were all in custody. Their jail calls were listened to. In George's calls, he showed no remorse and was talking to a woman about seeing her if he had ever got out or was in a private setting. Eric's mom could be heard telling him to do the right thing, and they also referred to George as Frank over the phone in code and to see if he could pay for their defense. In May 2019, Marcy was pointed at as being the mastermind because she had July and wanted she hated July and wanted her dead. George was the accomplice who brought Eric into it, and Eric was the shooter. 
All three were found guilty of premeditated first-degree murder, and they were sentenced to life without parole. July's great-aunt Pamela asked Marcy in court why she had so much hatred in her heart. She said, quote, How can you, as a human being, have so much hatred in your soul? You should have taken care of your life, and maybe you wouldn't have been so angry, end quote. After George Ryder's conviction, he appeared in court in front of the Court of Appeals. His attorney argued that his cell phone had been illegally seized and that Ryder was seeking a new trial, and it's believed that the conviction has been upheld. I 100% agree with Pamela and the rest of July's family. Marcy had so much anger towards July and Terrell. I'm sure Terrell wishes he could have done more to protect July, but I'm sure he never thought she would be shot right in front of his house. Marcy is disgusting for stalking, threatening, and planning to kill July, but George and Eric willingly agreed to take a life of a loving mother. And they all deserve to rot if you ask me. My book recommendation for this week is The Night She Vanished by Wendy Dranfield. Summary. My parents seem to be the perfect couple, but no one knows what I know. Everyone in the small midwestern town of Henderson looks up to my perfect parents. With dependable jobs as a midwife and the town sheriff, they help this close-knit community feel safe. But the locals didn't grow up in my parents' house. They don't know what I know, and they wouldn't believe me if I told them. After my best friend vanished when we were just 15, I left town and never looked back. I couldn't prove it, but I think my parents killed her. Now years later, my little sister has vanished. I have no choice but to go home and play happy families again. Because I have to find out what my parents have done to her. I have to try to save her. But when bones are discovered on a local farm and all evidence leads back to our front door, I realize I was wrong about absolutely everything and that coming back was the deadliest thing I could do. I was really interested in reading this book, especially after reading the summary. It was a good book from the start. There were a lot of twists and kept me guessing. I liked the characters too, and I really had to ask myself if so-and-so would have really done that or if they wanted one character to seem more suspicious than they really were. I give this book an 8 out of 10. I'd love to know what you think about today's episode. Thank you again to Manscaped for sponsoring today's episode. Please use the code CRIMEOCLOCK for 20% off plus free shipping. And please subscribe to my blog. Follow me on Instagram at It's Crime O'Clock Summer blog pod. On Twitter at It's Crime O'Clock. Email me at It's Crime O'Clock Summer at gmail.com. Buy me a coffee and please, please leave me a five-star rating and review. I'll be back next week with an all-new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's Crime O'Clock Summer.